could be the day that Jesus comes. That's right. Do you believe it? Today could be the day that Jesus comes. Bible teaches us, it says, don't say, tomorrow we're going to go into this town, tomorrow we're going to do this thing. He said, what you need to say is that the Lord will. Well, we know that tomorrow is going to come. There's a whole lot of prophecy in the book that's not yet fulfilled. There's going to be a tomorrow on this earth. But that doesn't mean that you and I will be in it. Because one day, the Lord's will is going to be for an angel of the Lord to rise up with his lips to a trumpet. And in the moment of a twinkling of the <laughs> we're going to be called up together. Both of our brothers and sisters that have already gone. Amen. We're going to be called up together to be with the Lord in the air. Amen. Amen. And today, don't for a moment let the enemy whisper in your ear, it can't be today, because Jesus said in the day that you think not. That's when I'm coming. It doesn't take very, it doesn't take a very dedicated observer of the news to look at what's happening in our world as I'm standing here before you. And not realize that the coming of the Lord is nigh at the door. He's coming, church. He's coming. If you're not ready, you got to be ready. If you're not saved, you got to be saved. If you're not stirred up and looking for His coming, get stirred up tonight. Because the Lord is coming. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to go with me, just read one verse of Scripture before you're seated. The book of Proverbs, chapter 20. You ascribe to that approach that I often recommend to many that there's there's 31 days, there's 31 chapters you bring in Proverbs, there's 31 days in those months. Chapter 20. Which means that for every month, there's, you can read a chapter of the day. It's not all that hard to read. Uh, I encourage you to read the rest of the Bible as well. But the book of Proverbs is worthy of repetition. You're going to find a lot of wisdom there. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 24 says, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Us people, we like to think that we know what we're doing. 
know where we're going. We know how it's all going to turn out. The wise Solomon says that the way man goes is of the Lord. How can he then understand his own way? I mentioned to you last week, we're going to begin a series tonight, over the next few Wednesday nights, simply entitled, What's Next? What's Next? Can we lift up our hands and thank the Lord for His presence tonight? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your sweet presence, for your beautiful glory that has filled this house tonight. Lord, we know that you are not this. We know that your work is not complete. Lord, we pray that you complete it in us. Lord, that you would save, that you would heal, that you would change to the uttermost. Lord, let your will be done in us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Amen. This series is entitled, What's Next? And the verse that I read to you basically will be the, the memory verse or the theme for this entire series. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? I, I think that anybody, everybody that's here tonight wants to know what the will of God is for your life. If, if you don't if you don't want to know that, then I, you might have just showed up because you were confused. Because and I think that most people, even if they don't fully understand the details, they, they come to God because they want to know what God wants them to do. We read in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul was, was struck down on the road to Damascus that, that a voice spoke to him and he deserved that it was the voice of the Lord. And his response to it was, what will you have me to do? The child of God should be desiring to do the will of God. That we should want to do the will of God in our life. We should not want to just spend all of our time trying to convince God that our way is right because I'm pretty sure that's never going to turn out well. The thing that must be at the beginning of your road in life, the thing that's got to be the center of your focus each and every day that you live must be the Lord. It must be seeking and desiring His way because as the scripture said, it's not in us to know our way. It's not in us to know the right way. Science hasn't figured it out. Medicine hasn't figured it out. Philosophy and certainly politics has not figured it out. Man does not know his way. Man does not know the way that he ought to go. I remember when I was in college, I took two, well actually I took three, but two that I Specifically, I want to mention two economics classes, and, and one of them was microeconomics, and one of them was macroeconomics. And macroeconomics was about economies and, and systems and kind of how the, all the financial and banking and all those types of systems of the world work and, and how they affect what we do every day. But microeconomics was all about what do the individual people do every day, what affects their behavior, what what that drives them to buy this product over that product or to spend their money versus save their money. It was all about that, that personal human behavior. You know, it's easy for us to look at Scripture and see at, at a macro level, at, in the big picture level, what God wants us to do and, and where He's leading the church and, and where He's leading His people. But at the same time, you and I have to live life every day. We've got to make 
decisions every day, some that are small, some that are not all that important, but some that are critically important to our, to our walk with God. We've got to understand how to discern the will of God for us each and every day, every decision we make, every choice that we make. What is the will of God for me? And so that is what this series is about, because you and I, we need to know how. We need to know how to discern the will of God. We've got a couple of young men I've already mentioned that are graduating high school here in just a few days, and they need to be able to discern the will of God. They need to be able to find it out so that when they're facing those critically important choices that they make the right ones, that they make the right decisions. But it all starts with a desire to know God and to know His way. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Why does man so often get wrong? Why does man so often go astray in his scientific and philosophical pursuits? Because he doesn't start at the right point. If you don't start with God, you're never going to end up with God. You've got to start with the, the beginning of wisdom begins with the fear or the awe of God. You've got to realize that He is the most important thing. That knowing who God is and knowing your will or His will for your life is the most important thing for you. It is what you must desire above everything else because there isn't anything of value without Him. There's nothing of value in life without Him. But every road that you walk down that doesn't lead to God leads to death. It doesn't lead to anything good. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, and it says it twice in the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Kind of like that other scripture that said, how can a man understand his way? So there's a way that seems right to us. It makes sense. It's logical. It, it, it just appears and, and sounds and smells and tastes like the right way. But the end thereof are the ways of death. The end thereof is not where you intended to go. And so I'm going to kind of be laying just a little bit of foundation. And I'm going to get into some specifics as we get a little bit deeper into it. But I want to, I want to lay this foundation because if you don't get this right, nothing else works. If you don't want the will of God in your life, well, you're not going to find it. If you're not pursuing the will of God, you're not going to find it. If you don't begin with God, you're not going to end up where God wants you to end up. From the very beginning, we see that all knowledge, all understanding, all wisdom, which is that ability not just to know stuff, but wisdom is to know what to do about the stuff you know. Know how to take what you know and to take the knowledge and turn it into right choices, turn it into right, to right decisions. All of that comes from God. It comes from God and from God alone. Now, go with me. You know where I'm going, folks. If anybody's ever met me here before, we know where we're going tonight. You can't lay a foundation without going to the front of your Bible. Book of Genesis, chapter 2. I'm going to take you all the way back before life got complicated. You know, before they had smartphones and social media and politicians and everything else that complicates life. Any of that stuff. So all the way back in 
the very beginning, the book of Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read, begin reading three verses there in verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man. So this is after God created the earth, before he had anybody that could talk back to him. Now, maybe all the animals talked back then. I don't know. We know, we know the serpent talked. We'll see that in just a minute. But maybe they all talked and he changed it. I have no idea. Uh, we're all kind of glad they don't talk back. Mr. Carpenter said a good while back, he said, if God ever opens the mouth of his dogs, he's going to have to leave town. <laughs> the things they've heard is going to get him run out of it. But this is at the end of all of those things being created. The earth has been, you know, that it's, it's not chaotic anymore. It's not without form and void. And it's, it's filled up with fish and birds and, and creeping things and crawling things and trees and plants and everything else. And at the very end, he made you and I. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. For all of you men that are sitting out there, the first man God ever made, the first thing he ever did was give him a job. All you ladies that are going to marry him one day, if you ladies that have been that ain't got one, well, pray. Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, dressed him to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So, the, the, the Lord has filled up the earth with trees and plants and, and water and land and living things. And he planted a garden, which means it's not just gardens like you and I plant. We have, you know, a 12 by 12 square over there in the corner of the yard. It was a beautiful place. It was a wonderful place. Everything that they would ever need was right there in that garden. Everything they'd ever need to eat. Everything they would ever need for healing of their bodies. Everything they'd ever need to be content was in the garden. But there are two trees that God specifically called out. Two things that he specifically described above everything else. One was the tree of life. And the second is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God lays down the choice. He presents man with the, the classical choice that you and I are still dealing with today. His way. Or our way. Do what I've said or do what you want. And he, he could have made us without that ability. He could have created us without the ability to choose. I know that, that your dog might not always do what you tell it to do, but your dog is a dog, and it's going to be a dog and act like a dog whether it chooses to do so or not. Because God told dogs a long time ago to act that way, so that's what they do. God only told the trees one time to start producing fruit, and they've been producing fruit ever since he made them, and they're going to until he destroys the earth by fire. He could have made us like them with no choice but to be obedient to his, to his word, but he didn't. He didn't make us that way. He made us with the ability to choose, and within that ability, we can either choose well or we can choose poorly. The book of Proverbs itself that we started with has been called by some as the book that outlines the doctrine of the two ways. And you see that all across those chapters. It's the right way or the wrong way. It's the wise way or the foolish way. And it, it, you've got to make a choice in everything that you do. And we also know that God's way leads to freedom. 
God's way leads to blessing. God's way leads to good things. And our way leads to death. That's exactly what God said. God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Now, us preachers are guilty at times of I'm kind of being silly about this and talking about how easy and simple it was to live for God then and how really easy it must have just been a preacher then. All you got to do is get up every week and say, don't eat the tree. Don't touch the tree. Don't eat the fruit that's off the tree. But, but it's just that. It's just us being silly because they really had no idea what that tree was all about. They knew it was there. They knew what God called it. To, but they also knew that they were to stay away from it. They were to eat of that tree. They were to touch that tree. They, it was there. They were to acknowledge that it was there. But they really had no idea what would happen if they did eat of that tree. They had no clue. God didn't tell them that. He didn't tell them. This is exactly the, the ramification of your choice. He just said, don't do it. They also had no idea of what lied ahead of them in their lives here on earth. Now we know that they were created eternal beings. We were created with an eternal soul. And as long as sin had entered into their life, there would have been no way that they would have dead, that they would have ever died, which means they would have lived forever. But they had no idea what they were going to be doing forever. I mean, God gave Adam a job. He said, dress the garden and keep the garden. I'll be honest with you. If you read scripture, you look all throughout history, and you even rely on your own you know, experiences with God, it's highly unlikely that the only thing that Adam and Eve were ever going to do for eons and eons and eons was, you know, farm this little patch of ground in the Middle East somewhere. I mean, over time, the world was going to be filled up with people. There were going to be billions of them, just like there are today. And they really had no idea what lied ahead of them in life, what it was that God was going to ask them to do or what else he might tell them to do or not do for the rest of their days here on the earth. They didn't know if they'd always be there. Are they going to get up and move to some other place somewhere else? Are they going to always tend to the garden? They didn't know how many people would be born. I mean, how, how many babies would they have? How many grandbabies would they have? You know, they had no idea what was down the road for them. And they also had no idea what... They would need to know when they got there. That's why we get so frustrated with our kids sometimes, because they know everything. They've only lived for 10 years in this world, but they know everything. They've never even been half the places that they're going to go, but they know what they're supposed to do when they get there. The reason we get mad is because we've already been there. We know what they're supposed to do, which is why we tell them. They didn't know this stuff. They didn't know. They, they weren't ignorant. They were created with grown intellects like you and I. But they still didn't know what they were going to do for the rest of their tomorrows. They also had no idea that what if, just, just in their own curiosity, what if I'm going to need to know whatever it is that I'll know if I eat that tree? What is it that I'm Missing out on. What is it that I'm not experiencing? What is it that I'm not feeling? They had no idea, other than that God said, you're going to die in the day you do it, what would take place and what they would know or understand or, or otherwise experience by taking of that tree. And so it set up this principle. You can only ever know the will of God 
by trusting Him. He is not going to tell you everything that you think you need to know. Because the fact of the matter is, there's not a one of us that would have kept on living until this day if God had told you day one everything you were going to go through. You would come out of that womb and if God would give you understanding and painted the picture of your life, you would have said, I'm going back. Put me back in. I was comfortable in there. I don't want to have anything to do with all the trouble that now exists in this world. The only way you can ever know the will of God is by being willing to trust Him. Whatever His way is, wherever He tells you to go, whatever He tells you to do, you have to believe that God's way is the best. God's way is the best. After all, what was it that got them in trouble anyway? What was the lie that the serpent told that got them in trouble? Genesis chapter 3, right there in the same vicinity, but verse 4 says, The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Why is he saying this? Because he just asked her the question. And hey, what did God say about that tree? I mean, we're people. We're curious individuals. I guarantee you, they wondered before about that tree. So what did God say about that tree, Eve? And she said, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to touch it. We're not supposed to take it, that tree. And if, if we do, we're going to die. And so the serpent said, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You shall be like God. You shall have knowledge like you don't have right now. That you're gonna, and that's why God doesn't want you to take up. What did he tell her? The first thing he told her was that God was not telling her the truth. God said you're going to die, but he said you're not going to die. He basically called God a liar. He said that what God said is not true. Or else, it wouldn't be as bad as what they thought. How many times have we fallen victim to that? We know it's a bad choice. We know it's a stupid decision. But we begin to think, oh, it's not going to be that bad. And so why do we choose to do it? Because all of a sudden, the perceived reward becomes more attractive than the punishment. And so the devil is setting her up for failure. He tells her, he tries to cast doubt upon what God said, and then once he casts a little bit of doubt on the severity of the outcome, then he throws out there that God is trying to keep you from something good. Something that tastes good, something that feels good, Something that looks good. God is trying to keep you from something good. How do we get tempted so many times in our life to go the wrong way by thinking that our way instead of God's way will lead to something good? We think somehow through our own flawed, sin-marked logic 
that we can make this choice against what we know to be the will of God, but it won't turn out the way the will of God, the Word of God says that it will. That I can choose my way over God's way, but it won't lead to death. The Word of God cannot lie. God Himself cannot lie. When He spoke and said that our way will lead to death, it's always going to take us there. The only way that's ever going to lead to life, the only way that's ever going to end up in a good place is God's. It's only in His way. And so He, he, he seduced her by telling her that God was trying to keep her from something good. Why is it that we do some of the dumb things that we do at times in life? Because we start feeling like, I've got to have that experience. I've got to have that feeling. I've got to have that taste of something that is good. Because that's exactly what he did. Verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. It's not the first time they saw the tree. They didn't walk around a corner and stumble upon this thing and now realize, oh, this thing is an attractive, nice-looking tree with some pretty fruit hanging off of it. They've seen that tree however many days they've been on this earth. They've seen that tree and they knew where it was. They knew what it smelled like. They knew what it looked like. But what he did was provoke her flesh to desire it. She now looked at it as something that was pleasant to the eyes, something that probably tasted good, and something that would give him or her wisdom that they don't have right now. And it says she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Yielding to the lie that God's not always right, that his way is not best, always leads to us following our flesh. That's where it comes from. Your flesh, because it's stained by sin, does not naturally want the will of God. It wants the things that taste good and appear good to the eyes and, and sound good and feel good. That's what it wants. It is the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. It's the same three things that you and I are fighting every day that we live right here and right now. It has not changed from the very beginning. Of course you want to date that girl. Because your flesh thinks she's pretty. Of course you want that job. Because it pays more than the one you've got. Of course you want to buy that car. Because it goes really fast. Or that truck because it sounds really loud. Or because all your friends will think that you're going to the are. Your flesh is what's driving you to make those decisions. I'm not saying a man in his middle age can't have a sports car if he wants one. But I'm going to tell you, it's about practicality that drives a 45-year-old man to go out and buy a Corvette. Like I said, if you've got plenty of money and you want to buy it, I'm not saying that you said to have a Corvette. But I'm telling you, what's driving that man to buy that Corvette is not because he needs something practical. It's not because he needs to save on gas. It's not because he needs to haul around the kids and the grandkids. It's because it's shiny. And he couldn't have a little when he was a teenager. 
It's what his flesh wants. It's what our flesh desires. And the thing is, is that your flesh by itself is not going to lead you into the will of God. Because we, man, does not know his own way. This doesn't mean that you don't get anything good. Doesn't mean that your whole life living for God doesn't lead to good things. It always leads to good things. Think about what God gave them. They got focused, hyper-focused on the fruit of one tree, and God gave them every tree in the garden. Every tree in the garden. It's like when you go to the restaurant, you open up that menu, and there's 114 items on the menu, and you don't want nothing. You want to get up and go somewhere else to eat because nothing appeals to you. It has nothing to do with your hunger. It has to do with the fact that you've now decided you want the one thing that they don't have. God said of all the trees in the garden can you eat. Every single one of them. No matter how you, you can have all the apples and the pears and the bananas and whatever else was growing in that garden. You can have it all. You just can't have that one. Nothing was kept from them. Nothing was restrained from them except the one thing in the garden that would destroy them. The only things that God is keeping out of your life when you agree to follow His way and follow His will, the only thing that He is withholding from you are the things that will destroy you. The devil wants to convince you, oh no, you got to have all that stuff. God doesn't want you to have those good things. God didn't want them to die. God didn't want them to be separated from Him. God didn't want them to suffer eternal punishment. What good does the girl do? What good does the job do? What good does the car do? If it's going to destroy the only thing the will of God keeps you from is the things that will destroy your life. You've got to pursue His way. Because He knows what you don't know. And He sees what you don't see. And He understands what you don't understand. And you know, it's, it's easy to look at the Word of God and see all the thou shalt not. And here's the thing that I ought not do because it's against the will of God. And all those things are true. But there's a whole lot of stuff in your life that you're going to come in contact with. There's no thou shalt not for. There were too many young people in their lifetime that thought the only thou shalt not they had was I shouldn't date outside the church. There's some girls and there's some boys sitting on that apostolic pews you don't need to marry either. Well, somebody. There's some jobs that won't keep you out of the house of God that you don't need to have either. There's some folks that can't handle being rich and God knows it. God knows what's best for you. And the thing that he's keeping you from is the thing that he knows will destroy you. And so the first key tonight in determining how do, how do I know this? How, how do I understand? How do I deserve what God wants me to do? The first thing that you must do, the first thing that every man and woman must do is hear 
the voice of God. You must learn to hear the voice of God. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. God's word is coming to pass, just like he said. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, I think most everybody here tonight is, is kind of familiar with how the story goes. They, they, they run from the presence of God and, and God comes down and they're, they're going to have their punishment meted out now because they disobeyed God's word and they're, they're ejected from the garden and now, you know, childbirth is going to be more painful and, and Adam's going to have to work harder to get the ground and produce anything and, of course, the serpent's going to be cursed. We, have, we understand that's what happens in the rest of that, that story. But it also, it also begs this question. Maybe you've not thought about this when you read this passage. How did they know who it was? Now, I don't know how much time it passed. I would assume it's maybe a few minutes, maybe a few hours. You know, they, they've had enough time to go sew some big leaves together. They've had enough time to, to think about what they've done. They've had enough time to, to come to this new knowledge that they didn't have yesterday. But then in the, in the evening time, when the sun's setting, all of a sudden they know that God is here. They heard the voice of the Lord. There was a sound that they heard, not a figure that they saw. Now, I don't know if they normally saw God, you know, in, in, in the appearance of a man or not. The scripture doesn't tell us that. But we know here that it didn't say they saw God walking around the corner, so they went here. They heard his voice. It wasn't a figure that they saw. It wasn't a chill bump down their backs. It wasn't smoke and fire and thunder on a mountain. They heard God's voice. So here's the question. How did they know this is? How did they know this was the voice of God? Because it wasn't the first time they had heard it. This is not day one for Adam and Eve. There's a lot of speculation as to how long Adam and Eve lived before the fall. I, I don't know. It's, it's mere speculation. But it, it wasn't a minute. I mean, it, it was some time had passed. It's not the first time they've had a conversation with God. I mean, Eve had enough of a conversation to say, God said, don't touch the tree, don't eat the tree. They knew the voice of God because it was not the first time that they heard it. I don't know how God appeared to them in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what he looked like or what he sounded like in the Garden of Eden. The scripture doesn't reveal that to us. But what I do know is this, which is an important principle for you and I. God spoke to them in a way that they understood him. God spoke to them as individuals, as people, in a way that they could understand him. Now I'm going to very quickly read a few examples in Scripture. You can turn there if you can keep up, but I won't worry too much about it. This is really trying to highlight a point. Genesis 6 and 13, and God said unto Noah, we later find out that you know, God is speaking to Noah, and Noah hears his voice, and 
Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, and of course he hears the voice of God, and he responds accordingly. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, it, it looks like things are changing a little bit. It says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, what is he seeing? That the previous scripture said that Moses, who we're talking about here, saw a bush that was on fire. Never before in scriptures there's some description that says that a bush catches on fire when God decides to talk. But for Moses, the thing that got his attention was a bush that was on fire that did not get consumed. And it said, when the Lord saw that Moses paid attention to the bush, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, and he said, here am I. Oh, then it gets better. You get all the way to Exodus chapter 19. Now we've got an entire nation. Millions of people, perhaps, at the base of the mountain. And the Bible says in verse 18, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by voice. Now God showed up and talked to his people, the whole mountain's about to explode. And then, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, because here's where I want to really make this point about how God speaks to you. 1 Kings chapter 19, we land ourselves with the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah is a powerful, powerful prophet of God. Many miracles done through him. Hears the voice of God, knows the will of God for his people. But he's running for his life. He's afraid. He's, he's got a price on his head, and so he's running for his life, and, and he's just despondent and depressed and convinced that nothing good is going to come out of the situation. And so he, he takes a long journey to the mountain of God. First Kings chapter 19, verse 9 says, He came thither into a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by. The great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. Yeah. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And so we read. In, in verse 9, that the scripture tells us that the word of the Lord came to him. But in verse 13, verse 13 we read that the voice of the Lord spoke to him. But it spoke to him after the display. After the smoke and the fire and the earthquake and the wind. After all of these things had come and they had passed. And God was not in them. He spoke in a still, small voice, and in that moment, when Elijah heard the voice, he wrapped himself in his prophet's mantle, and he walked out into the opening end of the cave, and God's voice spoke.
you in a way that he knows you can understand. Why is this important? Because God doesn't speak to every man in the same way. He doesn't because we're not all the same. We don't think the same way. We don't perceive things the same way. We don't see them, uh, although our ears may have sound waves bouncing off of them in the same way. We don't really hear. We don't really process it all the same way because God made us uniquely different. I, myself, have never heard the voice of God with my ears. I've never heard God audibly speak to me. There's a part of me that wishes I had it. But I have not. And just before you think I'm some bachelor preacher, I've heard other preachers say the same thing. Not every man hears his voice as if, you know, it, it, it produce sound waves and bounce off your eardrums. But I know that I have heard the voice of God. I know at times that God has spoken very clearly to me, and I knew that it was his voice. But here comes the difficulty in trying to, to grow up in God and discern the will of God is because we're flesh and sometimes we doubt, sometimes we question, sometimes we just don't even understand. We have a hard time separating what we think we heard God say from our own thoughts and our own feelings. Too many people too many people have a thought in their mind and then follow it up with God said. Many of people have gone shipwrecked in their life for what they thought God said. For what they thought was the voice of God to them. So how did Adam and Eve know that it was the voice of God. I mean, they, he just got finished talking to a serpent. I told you, I, I don't know if all the animals talked back then or not, or it was just that one possessed by the devil. But we know that she just got finished talking to somebody else. Why is it? How did they know the voice of God? It's because it was familiar to them. It was familiar to them. How do you know somebody else's voice? How can you be on the other side of the house and hear Mama call out and know that it's Mama's voice and you're in trouble if you don't get back in time? Because you know that voice. You've heard it your whole life. You've heard that there, there's times in our life, there are loved ones in our life that, that have gone on and into eternity. They've not been in our life for 20 years and we can still remember the sound of their voice. Why? Because they are familiar to us because we were in or are in a relationship with them. This is how you develop the ability to understand, to discern, to know the voice of God. You've got to be in a relationship with I'm not saying there are people in this world that have never known God, and God in all His glory came down and began to speak. You can read about the Apostle Paul that was misguided and misdirected, and in a moment, he heard the voice of God. But I'm going to tell you something else about Paul that might kind of give somebody a hint because something will come in a later week. Paul had spent his lifetime studying God. He 
He had spent a lifetime studying the Word of God. And so it didn't take much hearing for him to know who was talking to him. Because he pursued a relationship with God. The way that you learn God's voice is by being in relationship with Him. How do you build a relationship with a spirit? You do it, you start it through prayer. You start it through prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is having a conversation with God. Why is it called prayer instead of just a conversation with somebody? Because he's not just a somebody. He's God. He's a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bones. I know that he came and he did. And I know we're going to see him that way again. But he's still the eternal spirit. He is still the creator of the universe. It's a special kind of conversation. Because you and I, until he returns, we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't smell him. Most of us probably won't even hear with our own natural ears the voice of God. But we pray to God. We have a conversation with him based on the faith that he's real, that he's there, and that he hears the words that we say. Book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. Somebody knows where I'm going. But King Solomon, and all of his wisdom that was given to him from God, he knew before it ever happened, there's no way this nation's not going to mess up. Smart guy. God, I know the day is coming. We're going to turn our back on you. We're going to live in apostasy. We're going to erect altars to false gods. We're going to break all your laws. We're going to ignore and blaspheme your name. I know it's going to happen. Solomon asked God, God, I want you to make me a promise. There would be a way to undo all this. There would be a way to reverse the punishments and reverse the effects of the curses that are undoubtedly going to come. He said, I want you to agree to always hear our prayers. That if we repent, if we turn away from our way, and we once again pursue your way, that when we do so in faith and we cry out with our voices in prayer, that you will hear. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. Here's the answer. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. God hears you when you pray. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy of your soul. It does not matter how far gone you are. It's right there in black and white in the book. If all the land's been destroyed, if everything's been raised over, if there's not one 
You have a relationship with God. You begin a relationship with God by pursuing Him in prayer. I mean, after all, how did you repent of your sins? You prayed that God would hear you and wash your sins away. How did you get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? A man of God stood beside you in the water and prayed before he put you down in the name of Jesus. How did you get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? It was when you stood at an altar and you began to lift up your hands and begin to talk to God and he calls you to speak in a language that you don't know. It all starts with prayer. You cannot live for God. You cannot ever expect to know what God wants you to do in your life without prayer. It won't happen. Don't come up and tell me I study the Bible every day. Oh, I study for six hours a day. That's good. You keep it up. But if you don't ever pray, you're going to go in the wrong direction. There are religions today that lead countless millions of people into apostasy. Because a man, somewhere along the way, got off track. Somewhere along the way, he misinterpreted and misunderstood the Word of God. Somewhere along the way, the devil enticed him to choose a way that didn't line up with God's way. You must be a person that prays. If you ever want to know the will of God, you've got to pray. You cannot expect to know the voice of God for a major decision in your life if you've never heard it before. You see, that's what happens. There's nothing wrong with people coming to the church in crisis. God wants us to come to Him in crisis. The problem is when you only come to God in crisis. When the only thing you do is show up when you want God to fix something and give you an answer. There may be times that God chooses to fix it for you, but you're not learning the voice of God because you learn it through relationship. Why do you have parents? Because you need them to be the guide for you for all the stuff that you don't know, all the stuff that they already know. Why do you need to seek God in prayer? Because only He knows His way. Only He knows the way that you ought to take. Remember, we can't know our way. God knows what tomorrow holds. God knows what is in our heart that we don't understand. God knows what is best for us all the time. But the only way we're ever going to know what He knows is to talk to Him. You have to talk to them. So why, why am I preaching about what seems to be a simple idea that you need to pray to, to hear from God? Remember, Adam and Eve knew his voice because it wasn't the first time. You've got to come to God. Not just once. Not just when you pray through to get the Holy Ghost. You don't need to start looking for God when it's time to get married. You don't need to start talking to God whenever it's time to replace the job that you lost. You don't need to, to start talking to God for the very first time right before you sign the paperwork for the new house. You need to have an ongoing daily relationship with God. If you're not willing to pray, if you're not willing to spend time with the Lord each and every day that you live, you should never expect to know the Lord. Here's what happens. 
you're going to approach that prayer. That prayer that you're now coming to him to get an answer for. With a preconceived idea of what you think the will of God is. Let's be honest. What do we always think the will of God is? We think it's what we want. We think it's what our flesh wants. Surely it must be God's will for me to have that job. Surely it must be God's will for me to have that car. It must be God's will for me to marry that girl. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. But when the only time we ever come to God is when we come because we need to get that fixed. But we don't really want a relationship with Him. And the only thing we're doing is showing up with what we already think God should do and asking Him to stamp it. Then you might just become convinced that the thing that you're wanting anyway is now suddenly the thing that you think God is saying. Many times, we've all done it. We've all wanted something so bad that we began to pray about it. And because the wind doesn't blow and the ground doesn't shake and the mountain doesn't catch on fire and God put you know, an angel with a flaming sword in our way to stop us, then it must just be the will of God. It's not. It's just that we don't really know his voice. John chapter 10. Lord Jesus himself writes in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door, it's the shepherd of the sheep. Now, this doesn't seem like it fits in what I'm talking about. He's just talking about the fact that, you know, the enemy's got to come through Jesus. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. That's not really all that revelatory either. We know that, that God knows all things. He knows who we are. He knows where we're at. The scripture says that he knows his sheep. And he calls them by name and leads them where they need to go. That's what we want God to do. We want God to lead us the way he wants us to go. It says that when he put forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. They know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This is Carlos Lewis had a statement years ago. He often stated that if it doesn't have that Jerusalem ring, I don't want any part of it. There may be a lot of people that rise up with good ideas for some of what they think. There may be a lot of times that we think we know the way. The question is, who's saying there are, there are entire churches that have gone shipwrecked because someone led them astray and they knew the man's voice, but not the voice of the shepherd. They knew the hiding's voice, but not the voice of their God. Because Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. They're not following anybody else. We've got to spend time in prayer every day that we live so that when everything that comes in this world throws at 
behind this altar and introduce yourself. I know he knows you, but you need to get to know him. If you've been praying, but you don't know what God is, is trying to tell you, come down this altar right now and begin to talk to the Lord. He hears every word you say. Big things coming up in your life, you don't know what to do. Come get reacquainted with the voice of God. I wish somebody could be honest and come and say, I want to know the voice of God more. I listen to two 